Welcome to the Messy Walk Podcast with Pastor Adam Cook, where our goal is to have a genuine and authentic conversation about the Christian faith journey and what a messy walk with Jesus really looks like. Make sure to follow us for future episodes that will be posted regularly each Wednesday. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome to the Messy Walk Podcast. I am Pastor Adam. I have a special guest with me, one of my good friends, um, missionary, Mr. Josh Krabs. Josh, hey, say hey to everybody. Hey everybody, That's good to perfect. be here. Good job, you did good. This is episode 90. We are in a series um, talking about, the title of the series is Symptoms of the Dead Church. And so we are talking through why the church in America is in steep decline. And so uh, we spent the last several episodes talking through this. We'll do some more. This this series will actually last us all the way till Christmas. So we're getting a lot of unique perspectives. And Josh and his family happen to be right now in town with us at the church, um, visiting everybody and doing a little teaching, a little preaching, uh, a little hanging out. And so I thought it would be the perfect series to bring Josh in on with us. Josh was on um, – actually, he was on a previous episode. He was on episode 23. So, Josh, you were on episode 23, and now you're on episode 90. And if I'm not mistaken, when you were on episode 23, you were on the phone. That's correct. Yes, we called in on the phone, and our high-tech system here, our high-tech system had me holding the phone up to the microphone while Chloe talked to you or I talked to you or whatever it was. And so um, you were in the DR when we did that call. So, anyway, we're glad to have you here, man. Thankful that you're here. Um, And also, by the way, um, one of Josh's employees, so another missionary that works for Josh in the Dominican, Ian Duggar, he was just on episode 87 on this same topic, and that was done while we were in the DR, too. Um, and so, Josh, just for a quick second, give them the context so that anybody that's listening doesn't know the ministry that you work for and sort of what you do and all that kind of stuff. All right. Um, I work for an organization called Casas Por Cristo. We are a faith-based habitat for humanity, if we, if you would. Um, we work in Latin America, Mexico, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, and a couple other places soon to be in Central America, building houses for people that live in extreme poverty, living in around about $50 a week. And wow. our goal is to just take care of the largest tangible need they'll have here on earth, which is a house, take, give yeah. them some housing security, and at the same time, partner with the local church to share the gospel and make a life change that way. Um, cause the house doesn't matter if it's not attached to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we love working with Casas as you know, cause we've done, we've had multiple people from Casas on the podcast. Um, uh, your wife, Allie was on episode 41 talking about, um, like godly friendships and things like that. And, um, I think I'm in a busyness. She was talking through busyness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're big fans of Casas. If you want to find out more about them, obviously Casas dot org. Um, that's C-A-S-A-S-P-O-R-C-R-I-S-T-O dot org. You can find out more about them. But we're big fans of Casas, and Valerie and I have been on multiple trips. Our church has built multiple homes, and now my kids are starting to go. And so my daughter, our oldest daughter, has been on two trips. My son has been on the last one. He actually survived the last one. He's only like 10. did a really good job. So we're big fans. Now, you, what, are, what is your role in Casas currently? So currently my role is I am the foreign field director. So I work with our on, I just relocated from the Dominican Republic in June back to Texas in our home base in El Paso, Texas. And I work with our foreign fields, which are considered the Dominican Republic, Guatemala, uh, Nicaragua, and soon to be Honduras. Cool. So foreign fields is excluding 
excluding um, Mexico. Mexico because it's attached to, I guess, right? Because it's attached it, to American. Exactly. Because you kind of drive across and we're right on the border. And so while Mexico, yes, is foreign, we, in our organization, don't really consider it a foreign field. Right. Because you're, you're in the States, out, in and out of the States on that one. That's right? correct. But then the other ones obviously are, you got to catch a plane. Yep. So they're out there. So you're managing all those. And then Ian, that we just heard on episode 87, He's running the Dominican areas. That, that's right? correct. Yeah. So Ian does all the day-to-day work stuff down in the DR. He's our field manager, the eyes on the ground, and um, just doing a really solid job of uh, helping grow the ministry down there. Cool, cool. You've been with Costas a long time. Yes, sir. Going up uh, almost 18 years. 18 years. So that's going to prove really important when we get to the part of this whole church decline that we're going to talk about today. So in going through, and in us doing this podcast, I had to decide. I was like, okay, I can have Allie or I can have Josh. Now, we almost always always pick Allie. Right, because she's better. She's way better. <laughs> I would pick Allie, too. So after you listen to this episode and you're like, oh, Josh, guy, I don't know. Go back and listen to episode 41. You'll like it. Anyway, I'm just joking. But the topic of us talking about this whole idea of the church declining, one piece in particular, especially with your longevity in ministry, I thought would be perfect for us to talk through. So we'll get to that in a minute. We'll set the tone once again of what we're doing in this series. And so what we know now legitimately with statistics is that the – Church is in steep decline. It has been happening since the turn of the century, So, um, which sounds like it was forever ago, but remember, the turn of the century was 1999. And so from 1999 until now, current data, 2022, so the last 20 years or so, there's been a steep, steep decline, steep change. And so there's been two or three main places you see this statistically. We're pulling a lot of this stuff from Unchristian by David Kinnaman, if you guys want to look at the book which is just grabbing a whole lot of, um, I think, Barna surveys or um, studies and stuff based on this. But um, one, of the, one of the big ones we've talked through in the last few weeks on the podcast here on this series is that um, for the first time ever in history, it is now below 50% of people that are members or belong to a house of faith. And that also that's not just Christian. That also includes um, Islam and Judaism. And so... Mm. They're actually belonging to it, which is so, which is, which is crazy. First time in American history where that number is below 50%. So now the minority of people um, are belonging to or a part of, not necessarily like legitimate members, right? That's not really what we're looking for, but identify themselves as being a part of a particular um, community or house of, of faith, house of worship, right? And so the majority of that is Christian, by the way. Um, and so that's a big, big deal. And then you also see at the same time, the amount of people that are um, identifying as Christ followers, in particular evangelical or born-again Christians, that number is steadily decreasing in all age categories. And so mm-hmm. in people that are boomers, that number is lower in, than it was. The same thing with um, Gen Xers, millennials, um, and even in Gen Z. And the Gen Z especially is even worse. So it's not just the younger generation that are no longer identifying as Christian, it's also a decreasing amount of all generations that are currently alive. So you can't just say, well, there's a lot of baby boomers dying, and so therefore mm-hmm. the younger ones who are less identify more, that's where it's coming from. It's all of them. Um, and then also there are there, the category that is increasing that people are identifying as is the none category, like no whatsoever religious affiliation at all that number is dramatically increasing. And so what's expected is, is in the near future, the, the amount of people that identify as Christian in America will also believe, be below that minority line, below that 50% line, 
which makes sense if you already have less than 50% identifying with belonging to a specific, you know, community of faith or church, right? So that's that's alarming mm-hmm. and concerning. And what you have right here talking to you right now is two people who have basically bet their whole lives on Jesus, but also on the church, right? So on Jesus, but then his method for reaching the world. So my chips are all in on Christ's church, big C church, not lowercase church. And yours, probably even more so than mine, is in on the big C church, because when we're talking about a parachurch organization, a mission organization, you're literally working with hundreds of individual local churches. So you're working with the full body of churches. How many churches do you think you've worked with over the years? Personally, I'd say, well, over 200. Wow. So, yeah, so, so I mean, like we have, we have very clearly pushed all our chips in on Christ, but then also his method mm-hmm. for reaching the world. And then for some reason, unbeknownst to us, we'll find out one day in glory that he has picked us as people to be his primary method to reach the world, right? Like, I, if I was him, I wouldn't have picked us. You know, I'd have picked like Labrador Retrievers or something, or Golden Retrievers, because <laughs> <laughs> they would do a much better job than we do. You know, but that's what he's picked. And so, my chips are all in. Josh, your chips are all in on this. And so, it's concerning to know that that this is a steep decline in America. And so, we're talking through this not to be negative. I hate Christian-related stuff that just says it to say it just to be negative. But what we're saying is, is that if we don't discuss this and why this is happening, how would we ever be able to do anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to discuss what the problem is and identify it to be able to do something about it. I'm a firm believer that we can deal with anything if we know what the heck we're dealing with. And if we don't know what we're dealing with, then we won't be able to deal with it. But if we can, if we can know, like, here's the issue, this is what's going on, then we should be able to then go, okay, well, here's what we could do to solve these issues. And so mm-hmm. we've talked through a myriad of them so far on the podcast. We've talked through disunity in the church, division. We've talked through um, uh, p- political preferences and you know, sort of leanings of the church where we're going personal preferences. We've talked through church hurt, church pain. I mean, we've talked through all kinds of stuff so far. We talk through the reputation of the church, right? There's being an effector, uh, a factor, a factor to why the church is declining. So here's the one I want to bring up today, and I want to do it because Josh is here. Because um, what we've done so far is we've just picked the person's brain that was across the table. So you don't have to fool with that, Josh. You don't have to have that happen. Um, I'm going to give you the one we're going to talk about. <laughs> That's good. I appreciate it. <laughs> See, if Allie was in here, we let we just let her. T- I'm just kidding. Um, so what we're going to talk through then is. One of the reasons the church is in steep decline is that there is a large and increasing shortage of pastors. And so this new study from Barna that just came out, 2022, so real fresh, 38% of pastors were at least considering leaving full-time ministry right now as we speak, 38%. Worse than that, though, that millennial pastors – and when we say pastors, we don't just mean pastors. We mean people in professional leadership roles, right? So yours would obviously qualify. Um, 50% of millennial pastors in that age group are heavily considering quitting. When we say millennial, just so you guys know, generation things kind of overlap each other. But mainly what you mean is people that are born in the um, mid to late 80s and the 90s. And so, Josh, you would be in this category. 
and certain certain things would put me in this category, right? So I am uh, 41, 42 years old. Some things throw me in the millennial category. Some things throw me in the Gen X category. I identify more as a Gen X category, but so 50%, I mean half, are con- seriously considering quitting. Um, and that's a big deal. And so among the reasons that they give for wanting to leave or quit or really considering it, they claim the job that has always been sort of too demanding or very demanding, right? Um, and we both can admit that it's an extremely demanding field. Mm-hmm. Not not in any way putting down other careers that are also demanding. I'm just saying that, you know, it is, it is very demanding. Um, a bunch of them said that it has grown to be almost unbearable in the last two years, right? So you've got the pandemic thing going on, but you also have the political stuff happening, and then you've also got the context of this culture, right? This whole culture of uh, becoming a post-Christian culture in America, right? So if people are, are consistently leaving the faith or stopping identifying as Christians, that's also part of that's also been happening a lot over the last few years, right? And so this deconstruction movement and all these kind of things, um, it's become unbearable, is mm-hmm. what they feel like. And then relationships are frayed with people due to deep political divisions within the church, right? And so that's another reason that they give. Um, there's fighting over things that are coming out now that we wouldn't have fought over before, like an example is social distancing protocols, right? When all that was going down, there's fighting over all that. Obviously, the political fighting, racial tensions, you know, so many things. And then uh, they also say um, that all those things put together have pastors feeling like that they are significantly struggling to keep themselves and the churches that they lead or the ministries that they lead above water, right? So they feel they're feeling the no matter what we do, we can't seem to grow, right? Mm -hmm. So no matter what we do, we seem like to continue to be losing ground. And that would fit with the statistics that we just talked about a second ago. And so also with that, I just told Josh this a few minutes ago, Um, Because if you want to know how much prep we do on the podcast, about 45 seconds worth, (laughs) about 30 minutes ago. Um, The studies show that seminaries are shrinking. So places where people are getting official training and education for ministry, ministry ministry-related careers, those are shrinking. Fewer younger people are going to seminary. So the actual age of people enrolling in seminaries is higher, way higher than it was before. So you have a lot of people going into seminary way later in life and not younger. And so, in other words, if you go back to that millennial category, the young pastors that we do have in ministry are more so thinking of quitting than the older ones, and there's also less of them coming up. So, in other words, there is a shortage of pastors and, in general, a shortage of leaders in the church, parachurch organizations, missionaries, across the board. There's just less. Um, there's not really that there's a there's a decrease in the ones that are actually quitting um, where you're seeing you're seeing more and more of them quit but the real gap is coming in there's not enough to replace the ones that are not just quitting but just naturally getting old or naturally retiring or naturally dying right mm-hmm. there's so there's just this this little you know gap that is getting bigger and bigger similar gap to people that are saying they're Christians and then and then now there's more saying that they're not identifying as none. That gap is growing. This gap is growing too. And so I think that 
a lack of um, or shortage of pastors or ministry leaders, especially younger ones, has to be a reason that the church is in steep decline. Because if if there is a lack of leadership, everything hinges, everything rises and falls is on leadership, right? And so we know this, we live it every day. And if 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 you have a lack of leadership, then that's got to that has got to translate over to the organization of the church growing or shrinking, right? I mean, it has to. It has to kind of transition to that, right? Because if there's less people leading, then, you know, nothing's going to grow without a leader involved in it, mm-hmm. right? Without, like, direct vision and leadership. Um, very rarely does something grow when there's a leader that's there's a leadership absence, right? It either declines or plateaus. And so if we're talking about a leadership absence in lots of cases, that we know this is the case. So what I want to do is I want to – I'm going to stop talking for the most part now. I probably won't because I talk a lot. But uh, I want to just ask Josh a blunt question, right? So missionary now for 17 years? Like yes, sir. Long time, right? Um, have you ever wanted to quit? Yes, I have. I could think of two distinct times in the last 17 years where – I thought maybe this was it. It's time for me to get out of this field, go look and do something new. Um, the first time really was in 2014. I was about eight years in to my time at Casas, and I kind of had just grown dissatisfied with the work, um, feeling like I was making a difference. And it's just, it was, it was tiring, you know, rarely in ministry um, are people going into that work for the pay or are people overpaid yeah. for this. Yeah. And so on a certain level, you're always in the back of your mind, you're like I could go do something else. And it's just a lot easier that I could leave behind at five o'clock. I'm done. I clock out, right. you know? Um, and then more recently um, in 2021, um, it had gotten to a situation um, in the Dominican Republic where my wife was worn out and she was tired and exhausted. We'd been, living far away from family, living through the pandemic and all the challenges, the curfews, the border closings and different things. And I just said, I don't know if it's worth it. My wife is sacrificing so much. Right. And I felt a responsibility as the the leader of our family, our household to explore for our family's sake. Is this, is this time for us to do something new? And what does that, what might that look like? Were those explorations in either one of those cases, were they just? Were they immediately? I'm going to still be in ministry, just not this. Or were they more so? I could do construction. I could do these things. Like what were they? Um, the first time it was I could do construction. Yeah. Um, I was a single guy. I didn't necessarily want to deal. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to deal with the people aspect anymore of ministry, and that's kind of what had worn me out. Um, were the people, and, and maybe just my heart had hardened towards towards yeah, the people. No not doubt. that the people had changed. It's just. I was frustrated that it was my heart where the issue was. And the second time, um, I still wanted to do ministry because I felt God's call to that. But it was more of a a mindset of, well, I could do ministry anywhere. Mm. And what does that start to look like uh, if it's not in the Dominican Republic? Can I go to my hometown? You know, we love our family. We have a super close family, right. close-knit family. Can I go to my hometown and do the same thing? Or not the same thing, but can I do ministry there that I would find fulfilling that would make my family's life a lot easier or better? Um, See, I, th- I think these things are real. Like when I read these, nu- when I read these numbers, I'm not shocked by them. When I read the number of you know 38 percent, right, and then 50 percent of the younger, I'm, they don't shock me at all. Matter of fact, I think they're low. 
Mm. Like, I, I don't think they're, I think that some people weren't, weren't honest about it because it's a hard thing to be honest about in general, right? Um, because this is not, I mean, I'm sure there are people in ministry that, this, that they do it because it's their career and that kind of stuff, but nobody I know. Mm-hmm. is it's because it's your career. It's something much bigger than that. It becomes a career, but it never starts as a career. You know what I mean? Like it, it is by far in a way a calling that if you can do something else other than that calling, do it, right? <laughs> but but it's definitely a calling. So like when I look at those numbers, I think Man, this is this is low because to me I, we, you know me and you were talking we joke around the fact that we think about quitting all the time, right? Like mm-hmm. I was telling Josh, I think about quitting every Monday morning. Like that's a tongue-in-cheek kind of joke, right? Because, you know, it's post-Sunday. And I call I call Mondays your holy hangover, right? <laughs> so as a pastor on Mondays, you get a holy hangover for you when, it, when, the, when the trips are over with and the house dedication has happened and crews are rolling back out. There's a holy hangover that happens from it, right? And so you're tired and you're worn out, but you're also very spiritually spent and drained. And so, of course, in the middle of a holy hangover – you want to go, why am I doing this to myself? Right? Like, why am I doing this? But like what you shared was two legitimate times. And so, and, and I have those two, um, for sure. Mine actually sound quite similar to yours, you know, it, and they've kind of come towards the same amount of time. Like my first one was prior to union, you know, it had been multiple, I'd been at multiple places, multiple ministries and things like that. And there was a lot of church hurt. There was a lot of tired wore out. There was a lot of, I could do something else outside of the ministry. I can still be a Christian. I can still be a part of church. I can still be the body, but I could not be in leadership of the church, do something else, and it would be better for me. It would be better for my family. Um, and there was just a lot of church hurt there. But then the last two years have been much more in line with this stuff that we were just reading, these these stats of it has, it's hard and everything that we try seems not to be working. Um, and there's always been roadblocks, but my goodness, over the last two years, it feels like there's increasing ones. I was I was having a very honest conversation with Josh and Allie several hours ago before we uh, did some recordings and before we went to eat barbecue, which is why we both have uh, indigestion right now. <laughs> we both keep pulling away from the mic to burp or something, but um, and I was, you know, I was just being really honest with them, and I told them, like, I feel like that – that everybody wants their pastor's advice and that wisdom and all those kind of things so they can not listen to it. Like, that's what it feels like. It's like, so, so I can do exactly opposite of what you say or what you suggest or what you point the word telling us to do. And it just is, it just is increasingly like that where that, and it may not be any different than it was before, but my goodness, it feels like it. And so, you know, over the last two years, this has been something I have seriously pondered. Um, and what, what I, what draws me back is the thing we said at the beginning that I already I pushed all my chips in here, right? And so of course I could you know do something different, of course, but I literally have went all in on Jesus and His church, and the hand of poker ain't over with yet. You know what I mean? And so it's like I can't take the chips back because the hand's not done, and and that's really what has kept it from it. Like as a family, we've gone all in, and. I almost feel like with God that just, that just I can't pull away at this point, but I definitely have wanted to. Um, and I think that this is just important to talk through because it's real, right? And not that anybody intentionally makes you – not that anybody intentionally thinks this, but there definitely is a 
I don't know, a perception that's sort of pushed off that people in ministry leadership aren't real people, that we're just some sort of superhuman, super duper Christians. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, you're a missionary. I mean, how many times have you probably felt this or heard this? You're a missionary, so you're just a super Christian. I can never do what you do. And more times than I care to right, admit. Right. And then so so in, so let's just let's just disprove that real quick. Um do you struggle reading your Bible, Josh? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> you could go through the list. I struggle at almost all of it. So you're not sitting around every day doing Bible study for three hours, you know, in your job and your work. No, but but I can lie if it, if it makes you. Oh wait, I can't lie, can I? No, sir. I wish. I mean, do you are you sitting around having these intense prayer sessions every single day because you're such a super Christian? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I mean, like. These things are we're real. We're real people, and actually, I think that we are. Um, I can see it in your way you where you answer that question. Actually, as as Christian leaders, we're actually embarrassed by the amount of time we spend in those spiritual disciplines as mm-hmm. a leader in His church. Right? It's actually embarrassing, without um, a doubt. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's it. There's a realness, so it's not like people are meaning to do it. I don't think, but there's just like you know, you're some sort of super spiritual person, and that these things don't affect you, and and it's just not true. Um, I think that pastors, especially in America right now, as a whole, are hurting worse than they probably ever have. Maybe I can, maybe not ever. I don't know. I don't know how to qualify that, right? But in my lifetime, and in my ministry lifetime specifically, so I've been in full time ministry for. 20 plus years, right? And I think pastors in general are hurting right now, ministry leaders in general are hurting right now more than they ever have. And everything that we used to do that would work doesn't seem to work. And then there is this increasing gap in young people in the faith, but then also primarily getting back to what we're talking about, young leaders, right? Tell me that thing you were saying earlier about the like you've been doing these trips for like 17 years and the age gap stuff, right? You know, when I, when I started leading trips at 20 years old, I remember I was working with a lot of 50-year-olds, things like that, 40-year-olds. And now I'm working with a lot of those same people. But instead of working with 40 and 50-year-olds, now they're 55, 65-year-olds. Right. So they've continued to get older, but we haven't been able to replicate in many of our churches and bring people up through a younger it's like generation. they're not bringing young people with them. Yes. Right. And like you were saying before, the ministry of CASAs kind of kicked off where the vast majority of these groups were youth groups, mm-hmm. right? Young people involved in outward global missions. And now you said the numbers are drastically different, right? Yeah, I would say when I first started, it was probably 75%, at least it felt this way to me, 75% youth, 25% adult. Almost every group I'd work with was a youth group. And now I would say it's flip-flopped where it's 75% adult, 25% youth. And some of that's culture change and and different things as we've gone through when Helping Hurts and some of these other books that kind of discourage missions. Um, I think think youth groups are less likely to do it um, as culture has changed. But I don't believe we've done a good job of raising up that next generation and showing them the power of – service right or a dedicate right. especially a dedicated time to serve where it's a real sacrificial giving through that which is so weird this is how we know we have a problem in the church like where we can get to something tangible that could correct this issue this is this is what's so weird to me 
is that the generation that we're talking about not participating in these service-related, hands and feet of Jesus things, they are the same kids, the same, and I shouldn't say kids, young people who are heavily involved in social justice-related mm-hmm. companies and events and groups and all those things. I mean, they are the ones who have put on the map social justice companies that, you know, all they're doing is selling socks and shoes, but these socks and shoes go to the feet of people who don't have them, everyone to sold. You know what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. like whatever they are, and like the socks and the shoes and all that kind of stuff, Tom's or Bob's or whoever it was, right? Um, and then, you know, like Bomba Socks and all these different companies. The 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 social mindedness of this younger generation is massive. The justice mindedness of it. Like they don't want all this racial injustice. They don't want people to be hungry and suffering. They are ticked off at the church for doing what the church does, but then ignoring the people around them who can't eat and don't have food, right? And so it's just baffling to me that, which shows the problem is the church is church leadership in general. It's baffling to me that they have a heart for these things like no other generation has seen, and yet aren't finding the relevance of being the hands and the feet of Jesus to those people in the church. It's baffling, right? And obviously there's an issue there. And so no wonder, no wonder younger people, if if less younger people are going on mission trips, right? Now, I know we're not talking stats here. So you, there's two things you look at. you got stats and then you got personal experiences. What you just given me is a personal experience. No wonder you got less people entering the seminaries if you've got less students participating in these large, big C capital church we are going to help the hurting world. We're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. No wonder, right? Because it's obviously there's some sort of gap in the church and these things happening. And I'm not just throwing throwing shade at the other churches. We've had the same problem. Like we we pushed to take a group of students on the trip, and that group of students was way smaller than it ought to have been, right? And it should have been. It could have been. And some of that is some of that cost. Is some of that those things? Yeah. Is some of that overly cautious parents? Well, sure. But there's something else there. And I think that, that it is alarming to think through this shortage of pastors and leaders in general, especially among the younger generation. And when you talk about the fact that you've had some serious times as you're going to quit, and I sit there and talk about the fact that that's the same case, and then we know we're also not bringing up young leaders like we ought to, well, that sounds like a recipe for decline. Hmm. Um, and it might be a bigger reason. This might be a bigger, like, palpable hands-on reason than any of the reasons we've talked about so far on the podcast. Um, it very well may be. This is a tangible, you can see the direct results. Less leaders who are less passionate, right? Because that's what we mean. You know, if we're talking about quitting all the time or having these serious conversations, if we all feel like these things are now unbearable, then we're less passionate. So there's less of them and they're less passionate. That's going to have a direct correlation to us reaching new people with the faith, and then us also helping other people be discipled and growing in it instead of falling away from it. I mean, it's got to, it's got to be, and it's got to be much more tangible. This has got to be real tangible um, and direct linked versus some of the other ones like talking about the reputation of the church being more indirectly linked. Um, and so, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with me because obviously – you know, people from Casa's leadership are going to listen to the fact that you just said you want to quit. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we were 15 minutes in, so they might not make That's it that exactly far. exactly right. 26 minutes is our average listen time. So, uh, oh, I'm in trouble we're, then. We're past that. I'm sure we are. I talk too much to ever be shorter than that. Um, 
I think we've only had like three podcasts our whole life on this thing so far in a year and a half, two years where we've been under 26 minutes and we're probably way past it. But um, so, so let me ask you another question. Um, do you see this leadership shortage, whether that be whether that be in you guys, in the, in the leadership you're looking for, um, in the leadership in the countries, right? Mm-hmm. And then because that's not necessarily America and or the leadership in your local churches that you're working with. Yes, I've I've seen it. Um, I see it in all three different ways. You know, I think back to the Dominican, and there's this my one buddy who was uh, trying to start a Bible study, and culturally, there he should have the culturally correct thing to do would have been to ask his lead pastor, "Can he start a Bible study?" Which is just ridiculous. If you want to start a Bible study, start a Bible study. But he didn't ask his lead pastor. And his lead pastor called him into the church and put him in church discipline for being disobedient because he didn't do that. Instead of saying, wow, I have this young guy who wants to be a leader who can connect with other 20, you know, he was 20, 30 years, 25, 30 years old, and he could connect better with these young people. And instead of leaning on that, he shut it down because he wanted to maintain control. And I think that's one of the hardest parts we see when, that here. We when see creating, that in the absolutely creating new leaders is you have to give them a level of autonomy and you have to give up some control to do it right. And I think as leaders, that is, that is the hardest thing to do. And especially as pastors, and our desire to be wholly correct, we might not be as gracious as we should be in that. Yeah, and that yeah. causes us to pull back on the reins more, right? Which then, in turn, then kills those. You know, it, it kills people's desire to be a leader because they're like, well, if I can't even get this right or I'm always wrong, why continue going? And that doesn't mean you can't correct or should not correct mistakes, but you do it with encouragement and love and continue to bring them along mm-hmm. instead of always focusing on like, hey, this is not right. We're shutting this down. Right. You didn't follow our method and it, it's not in our box, right? And that exactly. Kind of stuff. There, there's an image of, and I mean, cut you off, but there's an image of, you know, you have the keys, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't let – the goal is is you don't let young leaders borrow the keys or make them beg for the keys. You hand them over the keys, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Jesus literally – Jesus Christ is has given – he says this specifically, given to us little peon church leaders, right, his disciples, his, his leaders, given the keys to the kingdom, right? And so – if he's given us to the keys of the kingdom, then what are we supposed to do with them? We're supposed to give them away too. And I think that's leadership principle one-on-one that is very hard to do because you want to maintain control and you want to make sure it doesn't go sideways and you've had somebody crazy at some point in time who did something crazy, right? And now so you put in these rules that affect everybody when really each one has to be sort of individual, you know? Um, so that's that's that thing happening in the DR happens here too, right? Mm-hmm. And I know I've been, I know I've been guilty of it. Um, I know I have. It's hard to let go of those things sometimes. So you've seen it there. What about like? As far as staffing, yeah. you know, as a parachurch organization, we just have an incredible, we have an incredibly difficult time filling positions. Um, more recently, just even with younger people, like people don't, they don't want to, it's not that they don't want to serve, but they don't want to deal with everything that comes with that. And especially for the pay. Mm. You know, especially as like most of the time, you know, hey, you're a college graduate. Do you want to come start work on the mission field? You got a crap load of debt. 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> right, right. Probably that shouldn't have said that on the podcast. That okay, okay, that one's all right. All right. I did worse. You, much worse. A couple much worse. Ago. All right. You yeah. got a you got a whole mess load of debt. You got a bunch of debt, and you're like, hey, come serve, and make not a lot of money. Right. right? Make thirty thousand dollars a year, and come serve in this high stress, you know, <laughs> demanding, demanding right, job right. where you don't, you know, your your benefits aren't always really tangible or recognized, you know, especially as us, where as part of our parachurch ministry is we have to fundraise, right? Yeah. And so that adds another thing. It's like, now you got on top of that, you got to go ask people for money. And it doesn't matter how good you do. It doesn't necessarily mean you're getting a raise either. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and so that's all combined. I think it's very discouraging for people. And um, again, it's not that they don't want to serve, but they just see these roadblocks that seem too big to climb. You know, they're they're, they're like, man, I can't do this. Or, you know, I can't, I can't, they're so, they're so worried or about the perception of asking for money or whatnot that they they put up these, these blocks in their mind that they can't get around. And sometimes it's us, even on staff, don't do a good enough job of like saying, Hey, like God wants you here. Everything else will fall into place. This is what you have to do, A, B, or C. You know, we're, we don't always walk with people. A minute yeah. ago when you were given your analogy about the keys to the kingdom, right? How Jesus gives us the keys. And I was thinking back to student driving, right? It wasn't that someone just gave me the keys to the car and let me drive. They came alongside me. Right. They had their foot on a possible brake if they needed it. But I had to spend so many hours driving with a t- professional, with a teacher, right, right? right? And I think us as a church, especially... As a millennial myself, I am now moving from one of the younger people, 36. I'm still right, not old, right. but I've been doing this for a while, and I'm moving more into an older leadership role um, within my organization, but also within my life. And it's a constant reminder to me of, like, I need to come alongside people yeah. and help them and not expect the prof- not expect them to be professional drivers right off the start. Like, I need to get in the passenger seat and walk with them, that, especially as we hire young people. Yeah, um, I feel even a heavier weight toward of of that now than ever before. Well, that definitely affect. Like, obviously, we're we're saying that there's a lack of them without necessarily putting all the blame back on that generation. That's a dangerous thing we do mm-hmm. is to look at the generation, and go, well, it's their fault, and say stupid things like they don't want to work and they don't have the work ethic and. All those, they would rather do this. Now, I mean, part of it obviously is they see these roadblocks that they can identify, like you said, but a big piece of it has to be that we are not doing a good job of coming up beside them, putting them in the driver's ed car, right? And mm-hmm. giving them the keys and, and walking with them and, and really on purpose doing that. I mean, I think so a, a, a lack of leadership or a leadership shortage or a void of leadership is coming from a void of leadership, right? Mm. One's a void that we don't have enough. It's coming from a void of poor leadership, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that we have to own that. Like, if we are experiencing a lack of leadership in our local churches, in the context of church in America, in our parachurch organizations, then that's coming because we as this generation of leaders who's in charge, um, who's leading the way, we we have failed in a significant way um, and have provided this void of leadership that's not leading up to next generation, for sure. 100%. Do you see this happening in churches that you work with, too, that, like, which obviously it's harder for you to know, but that there is a leadership shortage? Yeah. Um, 
again, you can see it in the age. Mm. You know, a lot of the people come because they love to come on these mission trips. They love to come serve. Right. But you don't, you know, it's the same pastor for 20 years mm-hmm. and he's not bringing his associate pastor. He's not right, bringing right, his, right, right. his youth pastor. And then he is not fostering growth for the next generation. So when he retires, he dies, he quits. A lot of times the trips quit. Right. right. Because the he is not. The partnership's gone. The partnership's right. gone because that was all his. That was his baby. Instead of saying, hey, let me come alongside you. Let me share this ministry with you that I think is really impactful, really important. Yeah, you um, and I were talking about not long ago. I don't remember what was on the phone or something. We were having a conversation that one of the churches had a leadership change. And with that leadership change, it was their partnership was gone then because the only person who really shared the passion and the DNA for this was that senior leader, and it, it wasn't anybody else. And that's not uncommon yeah. at all. Um, part of the reason, you know, when, you, when you're trying to grow, it's so common for us that when we have a pastor who quits or who leaves or retires, that that church's partnership with us ends because he has not fostered or brought up anyone underneath right. him to continue right. that. And right. that is a huge problem that we have in – in our organization, not even in our organization, but the organizations we serve with, yeah. um, we do not do, they do not do, I, should, I feel bad saying they, in most cases don't do a good job of growing up young leaders under them to help take it over, right. to help split the responsibilities, to take up the reins. Because we'll talk to a lot of our friends who are part of those churches that no longer come and they're like, oh, we'd love to come but we don't have anyone to lead the trip or right. don't have a pastor who's going to take that. Not that it has to be a paid professional. Sure. But it sure come, it's a lot easier to recruit and to find people when it's coming from the top down than from the bottom up. Yeah, I think that this is the heart of why this is going to be a bigger reason. This is this reason is going to continue to grow. Well, this is going to be a bigger reason why we see the church in America decline. Because if if the people who are leading these things, these not just not just parachurch, not just mission organizations, but just the 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 mission in general, mm-hmm. if we're not bringing people along with us that are carrying that mission load, carrying that vision younger, we are going to quit and retire and fade out. I mean, and die. Like mm-hmm. it's going to happen. And there is not a lot, there is not a, a thought a lot of times to a succession plan. Um, and, may, and even if there is, it's just a succession plan. It's just a, this person is going to take over everything when I'm done instead of, how about what about a team? What about plurality of leadership and the ability to bring in younger people into these roles earlier on? You know, like I was just saying on our last episode, I think it was the last one, that the challenge is is to give young leaders in the church a seat at the table quicker than they than we are ready for, mm. quicker than they are ready for, and quicker than they deserve or have earned. Like, and it doesn't mean that they are carrying the banner, carrying the way of the responsibility. It means we get their voice. We are missing their voice. And if they are also so inclined to social justice, like we know that they are, then we need their voice around the table. Mm-hmm. If they are inclined to, they don't like the reputation of the church, and they're not the ones disagreeing with it. See, if you look at these stats, you see that the whole, like, the church has this bad reputation. Older Christians don't agree with that statement. Young Christians agree with it. They know it. They feel it because their friends and everybody they hang out with, they know that the church has a bad reputation. They see the church hurt. They feel it. And so they identify with those people in a way that 
older leadership does not. She means we we need their voice early, quick. And if we are failing to do this, and then therefore dying, retiring, quitting, whatever it may be, then this voice is just going to get worse and worse. And I'm just, I just, man, I'm just telling you, it, I, I don't know a lot about leadership. I've, I'm, I feel like a failure at leadership most of the time, right? I don't know about you, Josh, but like every day I feel like a monster failure at leadership. But I do know that if there is not leadership, if there's not leadership, whatever it is is not going to grow. That's right. It's going to decline, and at best it's going to plateau. But it is going to die if it does not have leadership, you know, where there's no vision. Scripture says the people perish. It literally points to the fact if there's no vision, if there's no leadership, if there's no mission, then there is going to be death. And I think the church is experiencing that, right? There is a because because really when you get down to it, this whole lack of leadership or lack of bringing young people up in leadership is there being no vision, and mm. then that means that the people are going to perish. The that that means that the church is going to die. That means that people who um, or dying. That means that people who don't know Christ are going to perish because the church is not significant or serious about this enough. So last question for you, unless you got something else you want to say. I, well, I want to, I have a question for you. I'm going to flip it real quick. I think as leaders, do you think humility is the biggest stumbling block towards us creating leaders? Because if you were saying, put the younger people at the table, that means we have to be willing to hear their critiques. Absolutely. We have to be willing to go, oh, this young buck who doesn't know nothing about nothing could barely tie his shoes. Yes. But what he says has value. What he says is correct because his echo chamber exactly. is a lot more correct with the, his people group than our echo chamber, which Absolutely. is a bunch of older folks who are like, yeah, everything's hunky-dory. Yep. And I think, I think that stems from a lack of humility on us as church folks being able to receive that. It all comes down to pride, and you know, which is obviously the, the that you know void of humility. It always comes down to that. It comes down to a leader and pride in so many ways. To like, well, I had back in my day, I had to earn this and I had to do this, mm-hmm. and so they got to walk through the same thing I walked through. Because how dare? Why would I ever let somebody get something that I didn't have? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, and so there's that there's that level of pride there for sure, and then there's a level of pride of. I get my self-worth from this, and so I don't want to hand it off to somebody else to do because then what the heck am I going to do and who am I going to be as a person, right? Mm. And so my self-worth's not there. So I got to hold on to everything I can hold on to because then what am I going to do and what use am I? You know, We say to our staff team all the time that if you the, the best way to secure your job is to raise up somebody to el- somebody else to do it. Because if you are somebody who can constantly raise up a leader to do the job that you have, I will always find a job for you, hmm. right? Because there's because that's that's the home run, right? Mm-hmm. And and there t- you have to put aside pride to do that, right? And then it's the pride of, um, no, it's not going to look exactly like you want it to, and it's not going to be exactly what you think it ought to be, and it is going to be them doing it a certain way. You know, like the goal of. The goal of delegation or empowering somebody to do it is it's like the 80% rule. Will they do it 80% as good as you or 80% effective? Then you let go of the other 20%, right? It doesn't matter. And you give them permission to move in this and you give them permission to fail. And I think also it comes back to pride of we don't want to give people permission to fail because then we're fear, we're fearful that then we look like we failed mm-hmm. or we look stupid, right? Or we look like we don't know what we're doing. Um, and then obviously there's the pride of too that lack of humility that um, 
this is my show, this is my baby, instead of this being God's, right? This mm-hmm. is mine. And so we hold these things close to the vest. We hold them with closed fists. And, you know, and everything about the gospel is, is open-handed, right? It is not mine. It is God's glory. It is also him promising to grow the church. I mean, Jesus was pretty specific. He was pulling any punches when he told who would grow the church, right? I mean, he said he would grow the church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it, right? That he was the one growing the church and, and he, will, he will build his church, right? So he's the one doing it. But there's a humility of holding that stuff together going, this is mine. And then fearful of what everybody's going to think about us going forward too. Mm. Scared of failure. I, that is my number one I mean, hands down, number one, like tangible sin that I face every day. Now, it all roots into pride, but the hands-on boots on the ground, like where you see it played out, is I am scared to death to fail, and so, or scared of not being successful. So I will not raise up people like I'm supposed to and not hand them the keys and not take risks on their ideas or listen to their voices soon and admit that I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, because I don't want to fail, right? Hmm. Uh, and I don't. I want to succeed, and it ends up being my idol, right? And to be real honest with you, the last two years, God has really, really been breaking me down of this, um, chipping away at this sinfulness, this level of, you know, if it's not if it's not going perfectly right and it's not successful, then it's failure, and really been leaning me into, we are playing from a winning side. Right. So like let's don't forget, let's have the end in mind here that the game's already over with, right? Mm-hmm. Game's finished. We're in the we're in the already not yet phase, but game's over with. Jesus has already won, enemy's already been defeated. We as Christ followers are playing from a winning team. Leaders are playing from the winning side. And so you can fail and it's all right. Mm-hmm. You can try. And if it doesn't go the exact way, Ray, it doesn't go that right way. And also know that you're relying on God to do these things anyway. Right, like we we've just, I, I mean, for so long have thought it all rises and hinges on my leadership, and that is rooted in pride. And you know, the scariest verses in the Bible to me, I mean, they they literally make me wet my pants. The scariest verses in the Bible are the repeated mentions that God lifts up the humble, but He opposes the pride, the proudful, right, the prideful. Mm-hmm. That should scare the snot out of us because we do not want to be opposed by God, and yet when we are prideful, we're being opposed by him. That it should, We're never going to win that way, right? And I think that we're starting to see some fruits of that. Mm-hmm. You know? um, last question for you. What, what can you say to people in general and who are in leadership right now that are listening to the podcast and nobody's made it. We're only talking about one person anyway who's made it this far. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no telling how long we've been talking. Um, what do you say to that th- those, that one person who's listening right now who's you know in leadership and they're feeling the effects of this whole shortage of leaders? Well, I say, hi, Mom, first of all, as the one person <laughs> stuck through it. Man, um, I would say stick with it because if you quit, there's no one else. <laughs> You know, and it's not fair, but it's real. You know, you you can't just quit and expect someone else to pick up the mantle because that's happened a whole bunch and a whole bunch of people aren't picking up the mantle. And it's not their fault because it's our responsibility in leaders, as leaders in the church world to raise up those people to carry the baton after us. Absolutely. 
and not just one person, four, right, five, right. six, seven, eight people. And so stick with it um, because the work you're doing is valuable or the work you're going to do for the kingdom is valuable. You know, and if you haven't started raising up those leaders, you haven't started replicating yourself, you don't need to be 50 or 60 to do that. You can start that at 30. Yeah, You start at 35. There's no time frame on this. You know, it should be a key cornerstone for what you're doing in any church or parachurch organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if it's not, I would reevaluate your priorities to make sure that is. Yeah. To make sure you're raising somebody else up. I feel very blessed to know that if I quit tomorrow, my organization would not miss a beat. Yep. And uh, if my coworkers heard that, they would laugh and they say, yeah, it's because we don't need you. But <laughs> it's because our leader, the guy above me, has fostered that. And yeah. he's made it a priority for us to continue to foster as well. And so, one, stick with it. Two, if you're not creating new leaders, you need to make that a priority and up. you need to mm-hmm. change it up and do whatever it takes to do that. And three... If the people under you that you're lifting up, they're going to make mistakes. That's part of being human. Walk with them and work with them through it. You know, don't just be like, well, well I wash my hands because it's not worth my time. Yeah. Because if you do that, when you retire, you quit, you die, there ain't going to be anyone to pick up the battalion yeah. or the baton. And you wouldn't be in this if you didn't want it to be something that continued anyway. Right? That's right. I mean, that's the heart of anybody who's in ministry, for the most part. I mean, some crazy people out there, but the the – you know, some, some egotistical maniacs for sure. But, I mean, you wouldn't be in it if you weren't caring about it continuing and going forward and marching forward, whether mm-hmm. it's you or not, right? Um, and, and I'm glad you said those things because my initial response to that is in this season, this is what I feel like God's saying to me. It's the same thing you just said is perseverance, persevere, push through. Put your head down, keep going, don't quit, don't give in, perseverance. Because on the other side of perseverance – there's glory. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what Paul says. On the other side of perseverance, there is glory that you have no idea about. And so put your head down and push through. And then the same thing that you just said is I would say, you know, we got to change up what we're doing. Like, don't keep doing the same things that we're doing, right? If you're sitting here right now and you're like me and you're going, okay, I got to push through and not quit. Got that. And then I am failing at leading up young, you know, raising up young leaders, then we need to quit doing the same stuff that we're doing then. You know, I mean, what's that old saying? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Mm -hmm. So if we realize that there's an issue here, then one of the biggest things, like you just said, was it's time to change it, right? It's it's got to become a priority, right? So no longer should us developing new and especially young leaders should just be something we leave to just chance and, and just to happen. It needs to literally be one of the top strategic goals all the time when we are talking about what the future looks like and what we need to be spending our time on. Mm-hmm. And so to the to the pastor right now who's like me, who you're going, I couldn't possibly fit anything else in the calendar. There's no way I could fit those things in. This is one of those that's got to go in first before the other stuff. You ever seen that old analogy, the little thing preachers used to use and stuff where you put the – you have this like big bucket – and it was clear, and you had some sand, you had some rocks, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And then you would put the sand in first, the little bitty things, and then you couldn't fit the rocks in, right? And then the whole point of the illustration is is the big stuff's got to go in first. And when you put the big stuff in first, you stick the big rocks in, all the sand fits. Yes, this is the same concept, right? That that what's got to be placed on the calendar first are, and then the priorities and then the strategies are these big things. And judging by the state of the church in America, one of the big things that's got to be in our buckets first of time every week, month, year 
has got to be developing and raising up the young next generation of Christ followers, of course, and leadership. And if we put those in first, I really do think all the rest of that mess is going to fit. Um, it's just one of those things where we've got to just do something different. Yes, right? sir. You got to do 100%. something different. Yeah. Well, Josh, thank you so much, man, for being on here. We've been on here for like six and a half hours now. And so uh, Josh's mom, thanks for listening. And <laughs> <laughs> Josh, we're glad that you're here, buddy. Um, just remember, everybody, casasporcristo.org. You can get involved with them. You can go on trips with them. You can support them financially. You can buy some nice swag and not even go. Just wear a T-shirt. They're pretty cool. And um, If you guys want more information about that, you feel a calling to missions and those things, this is my this is one of my absolute favorite organizations in the world, um, and I'm just thankful that you're here, Josh. Appreciate you being here, man. Thanks for having me, brother. So we'll see you guys next episode. Um, make sure to check us out online at on all the social junk, right? So Instagram and Facebook and all that mess, and we will see you next week. See you. Thank you for joining us on the Messy Walk podcast with Pastor Adam Cook. Make sure to follow us for future episodes that will be posted regularly each Wednesday. Have a good day.